Welcome to Salem Alliance Church. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. This week's message is by Steve Fowler. We started a new series last weekend called Culture Shock, and we're, we're talking about some different hot topics in culture and how to live wise lives in the light of our, our, of our culture and how it's changed. Uh, we're talking about finding our way and influence. If you're last week, we talked about we need the best question is not necessarily what's right or wrong, but the best question is this wise or unwise. And we talked about listening to understand, and we talked about convictional kindness, and we don't have to shout to prove our conviction. Um, and, and, and again, asking that question, is this wise or unwise? And also want you to know that as we hit each of these topics, that there might be questions that arise in your own heart and mind that, you, that weren't answered by the talk that was given. Um, and we're, the last weekend of this series, Jennifer Roth and I are gonna be taking your questions, so if you've got one, keep track of it. Or if you wanna email it to us, um, that'd be great. Um, I, I was gonna put Brian Candela's email up here, but I was, I was nice to him this week. I threw him under the bus last week. Uh, but cultureshock at salemalliance.org. If you got a question that we didn't quite get to, a topic that we didn't quite get to that, you, that you'd love to get some insight on, um, shoot it away and we'll, we'll, we'll hit it in that last weekend. Um, and, and today we're talking about, about politics and we're talking about kind of living the life of Christ in the midst of politics. Let me just start by asking a, a few questions. Uh, first question is, how many of you in the room, when it comes to the political season, um, that you're, you're fairly intrigued by that and you like to watch the primaries and you keep track of where delegates are going and, and, um, and you watch the debates and you're, you're very interested in, in the election season? Raise your hand if that's you. Okay, quite, quite a few of you. Okay, how many of you, when it, be, when it comes to the political season, when it comes to this time of year, you're like, just, just I pray it ends quickly, just, I, I don't like this season, raise your hand if that's you, make sure, okay, yeah, oh, wow, okay, quite a few of you. Uh, how many of you that uh, maybe you're at the workplace, the break room, or maybe it's the family dinner table, or you're at a restaurant having dinner with friends, and the subject of politics comes up, and and you oh, something inside you, it's like you just can't eat, or you're, you're just nervous, and you're just like, oh, I hate this when this topic comes up because people get so angry, and I don't want to make a scene. How many of you get get nervous like that when politics is brought up? How many of you are nervous this morning that I'm talking about politics? <laughs> Okay, so yeah, a few of you are. How many think I shouldn't talk about politics? Um, here, here, you need to know this. For years at Salem Alliance, uh, the, the leaders of Salem Alliance, elders, governing board, uh, previous lead pastors, have embraced um, this idea, sort of an executive limitation when it comes to politics, that, that we will not be a, a politicized church, meaning that our primary identity as a church is that we will not be a Republican church, we will not be a Democratic church, we're not an independent church, we're not a Libertarian church, a Green Party church. We are people who find their primary identity as a disciple of Jesus Christ. So we're, we're not, a, that's, that's intentional that we've chosen to do that. And which is why, when it comes to election seasons, we don't, we don't make voter guide pamphlets available. We don't do petitions. We, uh, this, this, we declare our campus a political drama-free zone. We don't do, we don't do any of that. Um, and, and so, because, because that, that's, that's just not our, that's not our heart. There are people in this room from, from various different political persuasions. Don't look to your left. That, that might be them. All right? Don't look to your right. It might be them. Um, we, we come from a variety of political persuasions and, again, our primary identity is in Christ. Yet, we do have to ask the question, 
about how do we live our lives in a politically charged culture? How do we do that? Now, some friends have helped me. They put some signs up here and they represent some of those political persuasions. We got the right, we got the left, we got the center. And uh, the, the right typically, it, it, it's an identifying uh, phrase or word that talks about the conservatives and the Republican Party would, would, is, is identified as being on the right. And then you get over here and you, and you got the left and this is your Democratic Party and th- these words like liberal, progressive are usually attached um, to, to the left. And then you've got the center and these are your moder- moderates or your centrists. And, um, and, and so they, they try, they're kind of in the middle of the road. They're not identifying with the left or the right. Uh, but, but you might be a little bit off center. You might be on this side, and so you might be a Democrat. Or you might be a little bit on this side, and you could be a little bit of a Republicrat. Um, and, and what typically happens is when, there's, when there are, are, are topics that are put on the table and there's conversations that are going to happen, um, the, these two stre- extremes, the, the spectrum here on the two ends, they typically have very different ideas about how this topic should be handled. For example, gun control. You put the topic of gun control on the table and you're gonna have some pretty strong opinions on this side of the political spectrum. And if you put that same topic on this side of the table, it's gonna be vastly different. Or immigration policy. There'll be very different opinions on how that stuff should be handled. And typically what happens is one side of the spectrum will look at the other side of the spectrum and see them as the enemy. These are, we're, we're against these, these people. And, and then what happens is that slowly trickles its way into our lives. It's, it's those people. Now, here's what I want to do this morning. I, I, want, to, I want to just pose a question. Probably make you nervous. Here's, here's the question. What are the politics of Jesus? What are the politics of Jesus? I mean, is, is, he, is, he, is he a Democrat? Is he, is, is he a Democrat? Is he, Repu- is he you know, is a Republican? Is, is he a Republican? Where is Jesus? What, what, are, what are the politics of Jesus? And then what I want to do is I want to try and answer that question. I want to move from that to then, how, how does that speak? How do, what kind of wisdom could we learn from Jesus about how to live our lives as disciples of Jesus in our politically charged culture? That's where I'm going today. What are the politics of Jesus and how does that inform our lives as we live out our lives as disciples of Jesus Christ? So, get your Bibles. Let's go to Mark chapter 12. I wanna look at a story that's found there. Um, Four or five verses, quick little story. Uh, It's actually a politically charged situation in which Jesus finds himself. Um, and if you, if, you, if you don't have a Bible, there's, a, there's one in the pew rack in front of you. It looks just like the one I'm holding here. Go to page 1,597. You, you'll find this story. Mark 12, you see the big 12 there on that, that one column. And then hang it right, go down the bottom. You see a little 13. That's Mark 12, verse 13. Now, here, here's the story. Later, the leaders sent some Pharisees and supporters of Herod to trap Jesus into saying something for which he could be arrested. Teacher, they said. We know how honest you are. You're impartial and don't play favorites. You teach the way of God truthfully. Now, tell us, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or shouldn't we? Jesus saw through their hypocrisy and said, why are you trying to trap me? Show me a Roman coin and I'll tell you. When they handed it to him, he asked, whose picture and title are stamped on it? Caesar's, they replied. Well then, Jesus said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, 
and give to God what belongs to God. His reply completely amazed them. Now, stop right there. We're going to answer our question. What are the politics of Jesus? But before we even get there, you need a little context. You need a little understanding of what's happening all around this text because it'll help you understand why these leaders are so amazed by what Jesus said. Because you, you know, you ever seen that politician be asked a question and then they never answer the question? That's not what Jesus is doing here. He's not doing that. He's actually, he's answering the question and it's, it's amazing how he answers it. But let me, let me just kind of set some context that'll help you understand it. First thing you need to know is it's Passover week. And Passover week is a significant week in the life of Israel because it's a week remembering and celebrating Israel's freedom from Egypt. If you remember, the Hebrew slaves were in Egypt for over 400 years. They suffered oppression. And then God uh, sent Moses and there was, you know, the blood of the lamb was put on the doorposts and, and they went through the Red Sea and they were saved from Egypt and brought into the promised land. And Passover week, every year, Israel celebrates Passover week because they're celebrating the fact that God has, has pulled them out and saved them. And it's, it's a week in which nationalism and patriotism runs at all times high, all time highs. I mean, this is a week we're celebrating our independence. Patriotism is high. Nationalism is high. And that, that's this week. Second thing you should know about this story. The Pharisees and the Herodians are the two parties that come to Jesus. And they are, they're, they're, on the, they're, they're on the extremes, politically speaking. The Pharisees are the pro-populist party. They're the pro-Jewish party. They, they do not like Rome. They want Rome to go home. They, they want a, an, an Israeli state. They want a, a state of Israel. They want the good old days like, of, of King David. And they don't like Rome. And the Herodians are servants of Herod. And Herod is the puppet king that's been put in place by Rome. So these guys are on opposite s s sides of a spectrum. And yet here... In Mark 12, they're working together. Interesting. Something else you should know. This, this tax that's, that's, that they're talking about, it's not taxes, it's a tax, it's a head tax. It's a once a year tax that's assessed to every Jewish male who is of age in Israel. And, and people are not happy about another tax and people are not happy about this tax because it goes to Caesar. And so there are a few groups in Israel who have refused to pay the tax. The first group that has refused to pay the tax are the Essenes. Some of you may, may know the Essenes. The Essenes were, uh, they, they, they sort of extracted themselves from the life of Israel because they saw the government as being corrupt. The Roman government is corrupt. The religious government that, that's, it's, it's, that's there in Jerusalem is corrupt. Herod's government is corrupt. And they want nothing to do with government. So they're refusing to pay that head tax. And they have withdrawn from society and have set up their own little community. Remember the, the, the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls in the community of Qumran? That was, that was the Essenes. They just, bless you. They extracted themselves from the community. And so that were the Essenes. And they have refused to pay the tax. The other group that's refused to pay the tax are the Zealots. They've refused to pay that. Now, I'm not, zealots aren't right-wing. They're not left-wing. That's not where I'm going with this. I'm just trying to sh show you the two parties that are not paying the tax. The zealots, they are the freedom fighters. These are the revolutionaries. These are the ones who will go to any length to take out leaders, Roman leaders. And so they will assassinate leaders. Um, they, they will start little mini-revolutions. 
And so you need to know that when Jesus is being asked this question, should we pay the tax, that there are two political systems or, or beliefs that have already stated we're not paying this tax. One is revolting, one is escaping. And, and you should also know that when, when Jesus was about five years old, there was a guy named Judas, not his disciple, Judas, the Galilean, who came down to Jerusalem and he began announcing that the kingdom of God was at hand. And then what he did is he went into the temple and he cleansed the temple and started a little mini revolution. He was part of the, the zealot camp and started revolution. And Rome came in, captured Judas the Galilean after he had cleansed the temple and started this little mini revolution. And they executed him. And here's Jesus whose primary message is the kingdom of God is at hand. And what has he just done days before this question is being asked of him? He's cleansed the temple. So you have the Herodians and the Pharisees who are coming to him to talk about a controversial subject, the head tax, asking it in a week full of patriotism. They're asking him, are you a revolutionary Jesus? What party do you belong in? And they're not just curious. What they're wanting to do is trip him up so they can get rid of him. So he'll be arrested and executed just like Judas. Now in Jesus answering this question, he does three amazing things that, 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 will, that will help us get some wisdom in, in our day. Three things he does. First thing he does is he refuses to be aligned with any particular political party. He refuses, as, as one person said, he refuses political simplicity. He will not let the Pharisees or the Herodians, he will not let them peg him as a zealot. He's not, his answer will, will not be a zealot answer. And he will not let the leaders of the day peg him as an Essene. He won't let them peg him as a Pharisee or a Herodian or any kind of political system or party of the day. He won't engage in political sim simplicity. He just won't let it happen. That's the first thing he does. The second thing he does is he refuses any kind of political mudslinging. Now, you may be thinking, uh, Steve, where are, you, where are you getting that from the text? That, I, didn't, I didn't read any, any insults or he, he was tempted to insult and he chose not to. And Where are you getting that from? Here's where I'm getting it. Jesus, in answering the question, says, hand me a coin, a Roman coin, a denarius. A denarius is one day's wage. Hand me the coin. And... He asked the question, whose image is on it? And it's Caesar's image on it. But what else is on it? And by the way, there's thousands of these coins in museums all around the world. What's also on the coin is not just Caesar's image, but there's this imprint on there that says Caesar, son of the god Augustus, Pontiff Maximus, which means high priest. Jesus is holding a coin. Jesus, the son of God, the great high priest, is holding a coin that says Caesar is the son of, the God, son of God, high priest. And so, of course, what Jesus does is he calls a press conference and sets the record straight. Well, maybe he didn't do that. Here's what Jesus does. He contacts TMZ and releases some video footage of who's, who uh, Caesar is. Now... Uh, he doesn't know what well, does he know what teams? I don't know. He, he, doesn't do, he, he doesn't hold the coin in his hand and go, blasphemy and throw it down. How dare that I would hold a coin in my hand that declares that someone else will be the son of God and the high priest. He does none of that. He just simply answers the question, whose image is on here? Caesar, render to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. 
give to God that belongs to God. Jesus refuses political simplicity and he refuses to engage in any kind of political mudslinging. And he had the opportunity. And the third thing that Jesus refuses to do is he refuses to be a scene-like. He refuses any kind of complacency. Now, here's how he does this. This is, what, this is what causes the leaders to be amazed. What Jesus does is he says, whose image is on the coin? Caesar's, okay, render to Caesar. Literally means give to Caesar what he deserves. This coin, it's, it literally is his. Give it back to him. But give to God what belongs to God. What Jesus is alluding to is that the image of God is on you and you should give your life to God. Give the coin to Caesar, give your life to God. And what he's doing here is, is fascinating. He's actually putting before the people a, a theory of limited government. Let me help you understand. Up at that time in world history, if you are a world leader, if you are a pharaoh, if you are a Caesar, then the people, your subjects, look at you as a supreme being. You are divine. Which is why the Caesars would say, son of the god Augustus, or that, that they're, they're seen as divine beings. You, you, must, you must obey because they are supreme beings. And what Jesus has just said, give to see, give him his money. Don't give him your heart. Caesar is not God. And that, friends, was revolutionary. So much so that the Pharisees and the Herodians were amazed by what he said. You see, he didn't say, no, don't pay your taxes, I'm a zealot. So the Romans couldn't arrest him. And he didn't say, yes, pay your taxes and lose credibility with the, with the, the population that was there. And what he did was he, he, he declared, yes, you, you respect your government, but your allegiance goes to God. And the, and the people were amazed. Jesus avoided political simplicity, mudslinging, and political complacency. All in those four or five verses. Now, let's go from about 80, 32, or 33. Let's go forward in time. Let's go June 2016, Salem, Oregon. What might this tell us about how we can live wise lives in our politically charged culture? And I just want to walk through some, some wisdom that just pulled right from the story. We're going to start the very first one. The first one is this. Don't assign Jesus to a particular political party. We dare not do to Jesus what he would not do to himself. Jesus would not align himself with any political party. Now, I want you to hear me on this. You gotta hear me on this, okay? Because some, some of you, this is, this is me. What is he saying? It's, some of you are like, what? Could that be true? So listen to me very carefully. Jesus is not a Republican. <laughs> Jesus is not a Democrat. Jesus is not a moderate. He's not a member of the Green Party. He's not a member of the Libertarian Party. Jesus transcends politics. And we can't do to Jesus what he would not do to himself by putting him, assigning him to a particular political party. Now, someone told me in one of the services last night, but see that letter G there? Were you guys trying to say something? That looks like an elephant trunk. Is that what, are you guys saying? <laughs> Come on, people. There's no subliminal messages here, all right? And they're kind of half joking, and I think they're half joking. 
Jesus wouldn't embrace political simplicity and you, and you need to understand this. There were many things that Jesus said that were simple. Here's how you be in relationship with the Father. Here's how you take care of the poor. Here's what I'm requiring of you. It was very simple. But this question, he avoided simplicity. He wouldn't let himself get pigeonholed with any particular party. We can't do to Jesus what he would not do to himself. Don't assign Jesus to any particular political party. I could walk through scripture and I could show you the full spectrum of his opinion on topics and, and it'd be all over the map here. But we don't really want to do that because we don't, we don't have lunch. Here's the second thing I want to just say. Calm down. <laughs> Calm down, people. I mean, in this passage, like, Jesus is going, oh, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? They're asking the baby, come around, come around, cabinet. What are we going to say? He's not all riled up. We, we need to calm down. Because whenever, the, whenever politics, that topic is raised up, this is when fear and anger and indifference just sort of bubbles to the surface. We talked about this last week. The anger comes out and it sounds very zealot-like. Some of us are very zealot-like. Others of us, we just want to find that log cabin in Montana that, you know, just, it just, we just want to, we want to be a scene like. This is when the fear and anger and apathy rise to the surface. Now, there's a guy named Andy Stanley. He's a pastor of a church in, in the Atlanta area, and he was speaking on politics about six months ago, and I, I caught this clip. Somebody, somebody's seen this clip, and he's speaking to this whole idea of just, we, we need to calm down. The, the video clip speaks for itself. Let's just watch it. Now, real quick. I want to say something to a couple groups, all right? First, I want to say something to all of you who are 45 years old and older. You don't have to raise your hand, okay? 45 and older. Look up here. Many of you have grown weary and you've lost heart. And the reason is because you have fixed your eyes on a political system. You have fixed your eyes on a political leader. You have fixed your eyes on the good old days. You fixed your eyes on the economy. And you are, you are growing weary and you need to knock it off. And I'll tell you why. Because you are scaring the children. <laughs> you are. Now look up here, look, look. The generation that's coming along behind us are gonna take their cue from us. And here's the cue we're giving them. Oh my goodness, if we don't get the right person in the, in the, you know, elected in office, it's the end of the world. If we don't fix the economy, it's the end of the world. If we don't have religious freedom like my mama and my grandmama had religious freedom, it's the end of the world. Oh my goodness, if we don't get the right laws passed, if we don't have the right policies, it's all coming unraveled. Nothing could be further from the truth. Look up here. Government, and, government matters, policies matter, but neither of those matter as much as men and women who understand this word. Faith, confidence that God keeps his promises and that nothing can thwart the plans of God. We know this from the Old Testament. We know this from the New Testament. We know this because the most powerful person in Judea, Pilate, looked at Jesus and said, what is truth? Crucify him, game over, it's done, let's move on. And the only reason you know who Pilate is, the only reason you know who Pilate is, is because you know the story of Jesus. Pilate, the governor, becomes a footnote in the story of Jesus. In fact, most of the first century people you know about, you know about because they're part of the story of Jesus. We have nothing 
to fear. So all of you people over 45, knock it off. You need to model for the next generation that God is in control, God can be trusted, get involved in the political system, get involved in culture, get involved in your society, but you never fix your eyes there, you fix your eyes on Jesus. Now, now here's the deal. Some of you are going, but yeah, Steve, you're saying calm down and you know, chillax and all that. And, but, but don't you see where our country is headed? Don't you, don't you see how, how, how things are, how, how more secular we're becoming as a nation? How could you say calm down? And, and so, some of, of you are, are you're asking that question because at, at an early age, you, you, this, this idea, this theology was ingrained in you. Some of you have, have no idea of this. Bless you. But many of us were, were given this theology and, and America was compared to Israel. Israel, as a geopolitical nation in the Old Testament, was chosen by God to, be, to reflect the light of, of, of God to the nations. They were given the law. And in Deuteronomy, in, in around chapter 33, I think that there was these blessings and cursings that were given to Israel. Israel, if you do what's, what's right, if you obey God, then what's going to happen is your land's going to be blessed. You're going to have rain. You're going to have harvest. You're going to have families, life will go well for you. I'll protect. I'll be a hedge around you. Enemies won't be able to get in the wall. Uh, the bandits won't attack you. You will be safe because you're obeying and you're being blessed. But if you don't obey me, then what's going to happen is I'm going to lift my hand of blessing and I'm going to allow the bandits to come and I'm going to withhold rain and there's going to be famine. And I'm doing all of this because I want to turn your heart back to me. But if you won't turn your heart back to me, I'll go to the extreme of allowing another nation to come and attack you and you will go into exile and that ends up becoming Israel's history now here's what happened the Puritans came to America and they had a vision of a new commonwealth the land of opportunity and they called America the new Israel and so what they said is that, that just like Israel was a light to the nations, America can be a light to the nations. And let's just frankly say America has been a wonderful light to the nations. And missionaries have been sent from America and other countries all around the world. And in much of our, our, our judicial system and, and, and much of how we do government was, was early established in those Judeo-Christian ethics of, of America kind of being this new light to the nation, kind of like Israel. And this idea began to, to take hold and, and sort of this moral mathematics was, was ingrained in us. You do good, your life is blessed. You do bad, the blessing is lifted and you're, you're, you'll be judged. And now here's what... There's prosperity theology that when it's applied to an individual, we say it's unbiblical, meaning that if you believe that if I obey God and I do all the right things, I'll be protected from all that's wrong and my life will be blessed, I'll have health, I'll have wealth, and my, it'll just be wonderful. There's a particular stream of teaching that actually teaches that. We happen to believe that's unbiblical, that, that actually there is such a thing as a theology of suffering. But what's happened in this particular case, when it comes to our fear and our ability to, to, inability to calm down, what we've done is we've applied a prosperity gospel that we would call false to an individual and we've applied it to a nation and it's got us all worked up because God's gonna lift his hand of blessing. Friends, let me just show you this just I want to show this very clearly, how this, this idea is so deeply ingrained in our way of thinking. Uh, I know you remember 9-11. The plane went into the Pentagon, planes into the World Trade Center, 
uh, both towers, of course, both towers come collapsing down to the ground. Thousands of people lose their lives. There's two religious leaders in a televised conversation who are talking about why this has all happened. One of them is a guy named Jerry Falwell. And I want to just, just read a quote from Falwell. It's a, it's, a, it's a rather provocative quote. But I'm going to show it anyways. Here's what he says. I really believe that the pagans and the abortionists and the feminists and the gays and the lesbians who are actively trying to secularize America, I point the finger in their face and I say, you helped this happen. Look, if you think that having the right laws in place protects you, if you think that if, if we do the right thing, that our life will be blessed, and you embrace it as a nation. This is coming to some of the conclusions that you'll go to. And then when you see the kind of change that we're experiencing in our culture, and you're seeing it, what you're saying, we, we got to get these laws changed. We got to get the right people in the government. Because if we don't, man, the hand of blessing of God is going to be removed from us. And then, they, and then we use this verse. It's a great verse. But it's applied to an old covenant. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. This was a, a words from God to Solomon at his coronation under an old covenant when a geopolitical nation was, was meant to reflect the light of God to the world. And what, what, what now what's happening is we'll take a verse like this, which is a great verse, and we're asking the question, how do we heal our land? Heal our land? And we apply this verse to America. Friends, America is not Israel. The church is Israel. America is not Israel. That was the old covenant. Israel had that special relationship with God. But at the cross, Christ now, God is now revealing his purposes and his plans not through a geopolitical nation. He's revealing his purposes through the nations. Anyone who has turned their heart towards Christ, who has experienced forgiveness and reconciliation that's only found in Christ, what God tells us is that you're grafted into the family and now, now you are the true Israelite. Now you are the true Jew. Romans chapter two, verse 29, just so you don't think I'm making this up. A true Jew is one whose heart is right with God. Paul is writing to a church in Rome and he's trying to explain to them, look, see, here's the Jews are thinking in Rome. We've, we've, got, we've got immunity. We don't have to, we don't have to obey anything. We, we're, we're good with God. And, uh, we, you know, and what Paul is saying, no, 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 no. Uh, a true Jew is one whose heart is right with God and, and that transcends Jew or Gentile. But for some of us, we can't calm down because our country is it's like, it's, it's a mess and we're just like, we, we gotta fix this. So Steve, how can we calm down? We gotta calm down because America is not Israel. And we gotta calm down because there is a God who's never out of control. He never is. So we can't assign Jesus to a particular political party and we gotta calm down we got to let go of, of, of um, biblical theologies about who we are. We're the church, and we need to humble ourselves, and we, the church, need to confess our sins, and we, the church, need to, to turn from our wicked ways, and, and we need to hear from God, and we need healing because we're supposed to be the light of the world. He's the light of the world, and he's commissioned us, and now we're the light of the world. We need the healing.
Here's, here's the, the third thing I, I want to say to us. Be an engaged citizen and speak respectfully about our government. Now, as I wasn't too calmed down about calming down, here, here, some, here's what some of you were thinking. Some of you were thinking, gosh, Steve, that, that sounds a little scene-like. I mean, we're supposed to calm down, relax, God's in control, and, and so we just kind of pull back and just let it all happen. Is, is that what you're saying? Is that where you're going, Steve? Thanks for asking the question, because that leads to point three. Being an engaged citizen, go back, go back there, if, uh, if you would, Tony, thanks. Being an engaged citizen and speak respectfully about our government, what, what I'm, I'm not saying is become a scene-like. What I'm saying is understand that we will not transform the hearts of our nations by an outside-in approach. It's an inside-out approach. That's the kingdom of heaven. That's the kingdom of God, which is why Jesus would say, a little yeast in the dough, and there's transformation. A little seed, like a mustard seed, in the ground, and a, and a large bush just sort of flourishes, and the birds of the air will find rest on its branches. It's an inside-out experience, not an outside-in experience. That's the ways of the kingdom of God. But that doesn't mean that we become a scene-like. Actually, what it means is we need to be engaged citizens because some of us have been placed in places of influence and we can enact some of that inside-out change. So it's not about, it's not about being a scene-like and it's certainly not like being a zealot-like. What we need is to be engaged. We need to pray for our leaders. We need to be informed. We need to vote. And we also need to do something else, just like it says right there. Speak respectfully about our government. If, if you worked or are working right now for city, county, state, or federal government, I want you to stand up. City, county, state, federal. Working now, or you have worked, maybe you're retired, maybe there's a season of your life, you work for the, the city, the county, the state, the feds. Uh, I want you to stand up. Now those of us who are, who are seated, I want you to look around the room. I, mean, I don't care if it's for one year. If it's one year, and, you, and that's... And that's and you work for, for a city or state or, or federal government, county. Now, those who are seated, I want, you, I want you to look around the room. These people who are standing right now, they have been the brunt of jokes. They have dealt with insults. They have been looked down on because of the role that they play. And I'm gonna tell you something. That hasn't just come from out there. It's come from Christians. And we gotta knock it off. We gotta stop. And we, we need to ask these ones who are standing, we need to ask them to forgive us for how we have joked about them, how we've made fun about their jobs, how we have just, just made them demean the role that they play in our society. We need to ask for their forgiveness. Will you forgive us? And then... What we, need to, what we need to say, we need to say, thank you. Thank you for the role that you play in our society. Thank you for your service. Maybe it's, it's, it's as a corrections officer, a probation officer. Maybe it's, it's, it's at Congress. Maybe it's at the Department of Human Services, or Oregon Department of Fish and Wildlife. Whatever, whatever role you play, thank you for what you do because what you do matters significantly. You are an example, a model to us of an engaged citizen. And we want to bless you today. And church, we, we need to thank these folks.
Now, Romans 13, uh, 1 and 2 says, Everyone must submit to governing authorities, for all authority comes from God. And those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. Verses 6 and 7 say, Pay your taxes, too, for these same reasons. For government workers need to be paid. All the people standing said, Amen. They are serving God in what they do. Give to everyone what you owe them. Pay your taxes and government fees to those who collect them and give respect and honor to those who are in authority, which includes presidents. Some of us need to repent for how we've spoken about our president. Some of us need to repent for how we've spoken of past presidents or vice presidents or first ladies or congressmen and women. I mean, we need to repent of this. And whoever is elected this November, we should, it is un-Jesus-like in any way to speak words of dishonor and disrespect for those God has put over us. No matter who it is. And I know this election season, we're all going, woo-hoo, hang on, Ms. man. Still not an excuse. The early church did not get a pass on honoring the emperor. And he was putting them to death. If the early church didn't get a pass, we don't get a pass. I'm not saying be a scene-like. I'm not saying being zealot-like. I'm saying we need to be engaged citizens in the political system that we happen to find ourselves in. Engaged citizens who speak respectfully and honorably about those who are over us. Last thing I want to say, live as an exile. An exile is someone who is living in a country that's not their own country. And typically, an exile has been forcibly moved. In our case, this is that word taken straight from Scripture, uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. I'm just going to read a couple of phrases here. I won't, I won't go to the next slide there, Tony, but it says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. You'll find in the, in the New Testament, oftentimes, these words like exile, strangers, aliens, ambassadors, that, that this is not our home. And so, Listen to the words of Russell Moore in his book Onward where he says, we are Americans best when we are not Americans first. We are Americans best when we are not Americans first. We are citizens of the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of heaven has a set of values. It has a value system in which we are supposed to live our lives and it's diametrically opposed to the ways of this world. We actually are part, we're citizens of the kingdom of heaven and we actually, we bless those who persecute us. We bless those who insult us. We love our enemies. We, we, the kingdom of God is not this private thing. It just happens in our heart we keep it ourselves in fact again what Jesus is saying in a narrow sense I'm not political you can't put me in a party but in a general sense I'm incredibly political because when the kingdom of God gets going then the hungry are fed the broken are healed the oppressed are set free you saw the teams up here and what they're giving themselves to that's the living out of the kingdom of God and when that happens inside out transformation takes place but it will only happen by people who embrace an exilic mindset. We are Americans best when we are not Americans first. All right, land the plane, put these four things up here. Wisdom for Christians living in a politically charged culture. Don't assign Jesus to a particular political party. Calm down. Be an engaged citizen and speak respectfully about our government and live as an exile. Friends, you and I are living in a politically charged culture. 
and I want you to hear this. The advance of the church is not dependent on culture. The advance of the church is not dependent on government. The advance of a church is dependent on a promise that was given by Jesus Christ in which he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He is our king, he is our Lord, and he is never out of control. Let's pray that in. So Lord, this morning, this afternoon, here we are in, in this, this is a great country. It's a beautiful place to live and, and with many blessings that you've given to us. And, and Lord, we need wisdom. We need to know how to, how to live our lives in, in this culture. We, we need to be like you. Show us, show us the way. And Lord, may, may we just find ourselves experiencing uh, just a supernatural peace as we just draft behind you and walk in your footsteps. Guide us and lead us, we pray. Salem Alliance Church is a community of Jesus followers located in downtown Salem, Oregon. And we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. You can view today's entire service online at livestream.com backslash Salem Alliance.